God is good, and all the time, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke 21. Find your way to Luke 21 this morning, and I want to welcome you here this morning. Thank you for being here at our 1030 service. My name is John, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at this church, and we are in week four, the last week of our series entitled Leftovers, and of course, kind of the subtitle of it is, Does God Get the Best of Me, or the rest of me. And we started this series with this presupposition, this main idea, this thought that, that kind of assumed everyone in the room or those of you online would agree with. That is this, that God is the manager and that I am, God is the owner, excuse me, and I am the manager. God owns everything and everything that I have was given to me by God. And one of my fir- favorite verses that talks about that is Psalms 24 one. Psalm 24, 1 re- reveals to us the earth is the Lord. Everything is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord and the fullness and the world and the, all that dwell in it. So it speaks in the first part. It talks about the fact that everything in the world, things, and the second part of the verse is like us, people. We who dwell in the earth belong to God. Would you, would you read this verse from me? Psalm 24, 1 says. All right, we're going to read the, the reference, then we'll read the verse. Ready? Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and all. Isn't that awesome? And when we understand what that scripture means, it's like God created me, God knows me, God loves me. And everything that I have, it's not because of how hard I've worked, it's because God has blessed me. And when I I completely grasp the reality of everything I own was given to me by God, it makes it easier for me to say, God, I want to give back to you. It's yours anyways, I just want to give back to you what you've blessed me with. And when I think about this, as we've been talking about this for the last four weeks, I, I, I think we kind of highlighted the understanding that it's not just about money. We're talking about our three areas, our time, our talent, and also our treasure. What do we do with our time? Does God get the best of my time? Does God get the best of my talents, my abilities, the things he's blessed me to be able to do? Does God get the best of, then lastly, my, my treasure? Yesterday, we uh, had a memorial service for Chris Moore. And if, you, if you're not aware, Chris was a missionary for 13 years and died suddenly at the age of 54. And we had an opportunity to kind of celebrate his life yesterday. And what I was really challenged with, what I felt like God was challenging me throughout the service, many people uh, spoke and talked. And, and I would encourage you, if you want to be challenged by a life of someone that just said, God, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. Uh, then I want to encourage you to go back and watch it. Uh, you can go on our Facebook page or YouTube page and watch that service. And as everyone was talking, I just kept thinking about Chris and his life. It really challenged me to think. It seems like he gave me a great example of someone who gave God their time and their talent and their treasure. To see what God had accomplished in that ministry over the last 13 years, and I think about my own life. God, what could you do in me? in the next 13 years if I completely surrendered? God, what could you do in this church in the next 13 years if we completely surrendered? 
and the, the challenge there as I think about it. And so we've been talking about the first week in this series, we, we looked at the life of Abraham and, and we were challenged to give God the best of our family. And we see culturally that other things, other ideas, other events seem to get the best of our family and God doesn't. We looked at the, the story of Cain and Abel and Cain gave the best he gave God the best, and we were challenged to give God the best. And then we, we looked at last week, the, the book of Haggai, and the prophet said to the, the, the children of Israel, for 16 years you've been giving God your leftovers, and God's tired of your leftovers. Would you give God first? Remember the story, as they said, you, you live in your luxurious houses, and you've taken care of yourself, but God asked the question, isn't it time to invest in the house of God? into things that will, will last for eternity. So Luke chapter 21. And as we think about this story, as we think about giving God our time and our talent and treasure, uh, today we're going to encourage you to, uh, to, get, uh, to turn in your commitment card. So hopefully you, you grabbed one last week. If you didn't, maybe you grabbed one on your way in. Maybe you forgot and you can grab one on your way out and turn it in next week. You can go online and fill that out on digital. But uh, what I want to encourage you as we think about this card, we think about giving. What I want you to understand is uh, this statement. I don't think giving, when I think about giving, specifically in my money, but also my time and, and my talents, it's not about what God wants from me. It really is about what God wants for me. And when I think about this in the aspect of church, it seems easy for us and natural, I think, even in some ways for us because of the way we've, been, we've grown up to think a little cynically about the church. Oh, yes, the church just wants more of my, what is it, money. And, and I hope that you know what I believe God is, is saying to us all throughout Scripture. It's not about what he wants from us. It's about what he wants for us. I believe the same thing. That's why I give. Because I believe that God wants something better for me. And I can give and experience God's best. Because, I mean, let's be honest this morning. God doesn't need your money. Amen. God really doesn't even want your money. He wants your heart. And I believe the reason Jesus talks so much about money, pretty much more than anything else, is because he knew that, that money was going to be his greatest competitor for my heart. And I believe that Jesus understands that if, if, if he has my heart, my money will follow. Amen. The reverse then may also be true. If God doesn't have my heart, then I am not acknowledging he's the owner and I'm the manager. And so as you pray about this 90-day challenge, does God want me to give more? Does God want me to, to start giving? Whatever, whatever box fits you, whatever next step of faith God is asking you to do, I want you to realize that, that we're not after your money. We, we want what God wants for you. And, and what did Jesus say? It's more blessed to give than to what? receive. And I believe that. And last year, I, I think some of you were shocked, but I stood here last year as we were taking a 90-day challenge, and I said, if you make a commitment this, uh, this week or next week, and you decide for the next 90 days, I'm, I'm checking one of the boxes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the next step of faith. And if you, for 90 days, give, and, and you don't feel like God has blessed you, come to my office. We'll talk about it. 
and my dad will give you your money back. <laughs> okay, no, no. We'll give you your money back. Okay? My dad's having a stroke back there. Because I believe that if you give, God's going to bless you. And I'm not saying he's just going to all of a sudden drop a bunch of money in your lap. My, what I feel like in my life, and this could change tomorrow, the biggest blessing in my life right now is that my kids follow Jesus. Amen. It has nothing to do with money. I mean, if God wants to bless me with more money, I'll take it, but <laughs> right now, the, what, what I see God's blessing in my life is that my kids follow Jesus. And that's a huge, huge blessing. If, if you make a commitment and you 90 days from now say, you know what, John, it didn't work, well, I'll give you your money back because I don't think you'll say it because I believe God is, is going to keep his promise. Amen. Luke chapter 21, verse number one, and then we're going to pause, okay? Luke 21, verse one. Four little verses here. And he looked up, and he, me, and Jesus. All right? So Jesus looked up. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Let's pause for a moment, all right? So the rich is really implying here the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and those who have much. And I, I want to just clarify also, or maybe to point out, that everyone in the room this morning, compared to most of the world, we would fall into this category of rich. Okay? We have way more than the rest of the world. But I want us, as we compare and contrast here, there's going to be a, a, a widow lady that's going to talk about here in verse 2 and 3 and 4. But the, the first verse here is talking about the rich or the religious leaders. And I want you to understand what Jesus knew as he watched and observed. In Matthew, 22 and verse, uh, Matthew 23, verse 5, it says this, And Jesus talking about the Pharisees, the rich, the leaders, but all their works, everything they did, their giving, it says that they did to be seen by men. Jesus understands the heart. Jesus sees past the actions and he sees our heart. And the same in this story. So when we continue reading the story, we see we have this understanding. Jesus knew why the Pharisees were giving. They did everything to be seen of men. And if you look around the sanctuary here, we have four different offering boxes, all right, or communication boxes, four different places. We, we want to get you on your way out, right, or on your way in. But in the temple, when, in this setting, there were 13 offering boxes around the different areas of the temple. Seven of those offering boxes would have been for the temple tax. It was an obligation to give uh, based on the regulations at that time. There were six offering boxes that were for like free will offering that I just want to give because I want to bless the Lord. And what most scholars then would agree is that this lady we're about to read about, she gave into the offering boxes that were of just an offering. It wasn't something she had to do. That's an important understanding. We realize that she gave everything she had. It wasn't out of obligation. It wasn't because it was the law. She gave it because she just wanted to bless the Lord. The Pharisees on the other, I, I get this picture of the Pharisees as they wanted to be seen by men, that the Pharisees here walked around the room. So maybe one of you are going to stand up right now in the moment and say, you know what, I feel pretty good about my commitment card, and I'm going to check all four boxes because I'm so good, and I'm going to actually turn in four different cards. And What would we think of someone right now if they got up and started walking and putting cards 
in all four boxes. Okay, don't say it because I know what you're thinking, all right? That's the setting. The Pharisees only give to be seen. Look at verse number two. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites, like maybe the value of a penny. Verse three. So Jesus said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all. This is not about the amount, is it? She definitely didn't put more monetary value in the box. So what is Jesus saying? Verse 4, For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. So what's, what's the big idea of this passage here? God, God's more concerned about our attitude than the amount. He's more concerned about how we give and why we give and the heart behind our gift. God is, uh, he sees not only the portion of what we give, he also sees the proportion of what we give. So, God sees our heart. Now, in, with this story in mind, as we think about the, the comparison here, the rich who give only uh, to be seen, the widow who had nothing but gave everything, not out of obligation, not out of law, but because she just wanted to bless the Lord. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. So we're going to go to Matthew 6, and then we're going to go back to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to go back to Matthew 6, and then we're going to go back to 2 Corinthians, all right? So you may just kind of hold your spot in those places. But Matthew chapter 6. As we, as we think about this this morning, there's four truths that I want to share with you. Four truths about giving. The first one is this. What, what you love is revealed by how you live. What you love is revealed by how you live. It's interesting, um, in the current culture we're at right now, you can find out a lot of people by just the mask they're wearing. Like, they like the cowboys, they like the stars, you know, they like whatever. Some things I'm like, why are you? Okay, we won't get into that. But it's true, the way you live reveals what you love. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? You see what it's saying there? What you, the way you live reveals what you love. I love the way David Paul Tripp says this. Your heart is a worship center. It always lives and functions under the rule of something or someone. Your heart is a worship center. It always lives and functions under the rule of something or someone. One, and so the question this morning as we think about this is, does God have your heart? Because if God has your heart, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I think we can look at this statement that Jesus makes kind of from both angles. Thinking about this, so do I give because I love, or do I love so I give? I'm, I'm not sure in always it's real clear which comes first. 
let me make it in this statement. This is kind of from the negative thought about this. Because you don't care, you don't give. But I think it's also true to say because you don't give, you don't care. All right, so because you don't care about anything, and we could take this out of just church, all right, just in any area of your life, because you don't care, you don't give. And then also because you don't give, you don't care. Because you haven't invested into that, you don't care. Let's look at that or maybe make the kind of similar statement, but on the positive side of that. Because you do care, you give. But I think also then the reverse or the flip side of that coin is because you give, you care. I think that is exemplified in a lot of people in this church. You know, there's people in the room this morning that have been members of this church longer than I've been alive. And I think for a moment how much time, talent, and treasure they've invested in this place because they love Jesus. And I think about how many years they've invested their time, talent, and treasure, and because of their love of Christ and their love of the church and because they want to see God work in this place, they've given and they've given and they've given. But then I also think because they have given so much, you know, the generation that wants, I feel like, that wants to see God do greater things in this place is that generation that's been investing in this church for 40 or 50 years. And because they care, they give. But for 40 years, because they've given so much, they care so much. And I pray that I will be that person, that God has allowed me to invest so much into his church that I will care. Now, turn me to 2 Corinthians. All right, so the first truth, what you love is revealed by how you live, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. 2 Corinthians 9, and, and we'll go back to Matthew, then we're going to go back to 2 Corinthians, all right? 2 Corinthians 9. We read this verse last week. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, this, the point number 2, the truth about giving. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. All right, verse number 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We talked about that last week, the law of sowing and reaping. Verse 7. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart. What are we talking about this morning? Does God have my heart? So we've been asking you for the last week or so to begin praying about what does God want me to do in the next 90 days? How does he want me to be involved or maybe more involved in in giving. And, the, and what we have to do as individuals is, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about it, and what you reveal to me, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever you purpose in your heart. And then it goes on to say, don't give, or not grudgingly, or of necessity. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. And the truth is, if God doesn't have my heart, I won't be a cheerful giver. The reverse of that is also true. If God does have my heart, I will be a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And that's what we already said. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I have a disclaimer on this point number two, okay? Here's, here's what it is. Randy Alcorn says this, because I know what you're thinking. Well, I'm not really happy about giving, so I don't think I'm going to give, all right? It's not an out, okay? Here's, here's the disclaimer. Randy Alcorn says this. This doesn't mean we should give only when we're, fearing, when we're feeling cheerful. Here, here's the cheerfulness often comes during and after the act of obedience, not before. So don't wait until you feel like giving, because it could be a long wait. Give and watch the joy follow. Give and watch the joy follow. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, go back to Matthew chapter 6, and I'm, I'm just going to point out here as it, it talks about in Matthew 6, this idea of so little, reap little. Sow a lot, reap a lot. So number three, the third truth here. There is an internal ROI, a return on investment. There's an eternal reward on what you invest for Christ. Yesterday, as I said, we, we were celebrating the life of Chris. And I was um, amazed, humbled, shocked, I don't know the right word, all the above, that his, his dad, Tommy Moore, got up here to speak about his son. And it's just not natural. That's not the way it's supposed to happen. The, the dad's not supposed to get up and talk about the son at his service. But Tommy got up and, and, and talked about Chris, and I couldn't help but think about Tommy's life. Back in the early 70s, uh, Tommy surrendered to be a missionary. And I remember him telling the story, actually about two weeks ago, he was telling me this story about when he was at Bible college, that a missionary came and told him that as they flew out of Nairobi into Ethiopia, that uh, the missionary just began to say, I, as we fly over the northern part of Kenya, I see hundreds and thousands of people, villages and villages and villages, who don't have the gospel. And Tommy, as a Bible college student, surrendered in that class to say, God, I'm going to go to Kenya. In the early 70s, he went to Kenya, and, and churches like this one, and, and this church invested into the ministry of Tommy Moore. A few years ago, Chris, uh, living in Kenya now at that time, uh, he lives in the southern part of Kenya, but he went up and traveled to the northern part where he grew up and where his dad, years ago in the early 70s, started a church in Eldoret. And you know, out of that one church, there's been over a hundred other churches started. The eternal return on investment. To think of the money that some of you, even in the, in the room today, back in the early 70s, gave to the mission program of this church. And because of that investment, I think of the thousands and thousands of people who gave their life to Christ. You know, even yesterday in Kenya, they had a memorial service for Chris. And yesterday, seven people at that memorial service gave their life to Christ. Hallelujah. And I think... I gave so Chris could go and people have heard the gospel. And in Matthew, Jesus talks about our investment. Are we investing in temporal things or eternal things? And I believe 100% 
that when I get to heaven, I'm not going to regret the money I gave to the Lord. The only regret that I probably will have that I didn't give more. I want to invest in eternity. And so as I think about this, Matthew chapter 16, or Matthew 6, am I laying up treasures here or in heaven? All right, turn with me back to 2 Corinthians. All right, 2 Corinthians, but this time we're going to be in chapter 8. So point number four, generosity is the goal. Okay, generosity is the goal. I was blessed as a kid that my parents taught me to give when I was, when I, I'll be honest, when I didn't even want to. <laughs> you know, you do your chores, you get a dollar, and they pay you in dimes so that you can give one dime back to the church. And of course, at that age, you know, I'm four years old or whatever, I have no, I, I have no concept of money. You know what I'm talking about? But I learned the discipline of giving. And I learned specifically the discipline of, of tithing, 10%. But it, you know what I realized years later about giving 10%? It was pretty easy for me to do that. Because I had been doing that since I was a little kid. And I had the discipline of it. When Joy and I got married, it wasn't even a question. That's just what we did. And what I learned was, although that was good, and it was a good discipline, I couldn't really consider what I was giving as being generous. And God challenged me to give more and to be generous. So the goal is not a percentage. The goal is generosity. Because for some of you today, to give 10% would be very generous. For some people in the room, 10%, you've been doing that for 30 years. And maybe it's not generous anymore. So I want to point out in, in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, thus the name Corinthians, and he, incur- he, he kind of uh, encourages them in verse, we're not going to read it, but in verse seven and eight, 6, 7, and 8, he talks about all the good things the church in Corinth is doing. You, you're good at this, you're good at this, you're good at this. But then he gives them this one little tagline that says, the one thing I want you also to exceed in is the grace of giving. I want you to be more generous, is what Paul is saying. And he gives them an example of another church. So as we think about generosity, as we think about making a commitment, I'm going to start giving 5%. I'm going to increase to 11%. Whatever that is, the goal here is generosity. And I want you to see in this passage, I'm going to read, and, and so you're probably going to look on the screen because you probably don't have this translation. Uh, you may could look at your Bible and kind of see the comparison here, but I want to read from the message translation this morning. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. Verse number 1. It says, now friends, again he's writing to the church of Corinth, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia province. Verse number two, fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. Think about the persecution that was happening in the early church. This is what Paul is referencing. They're under severe persecution. The trial exposes their true colors. Like always, when we're, when we're tested, we see if our faith can be trusted. And so it seems like it's setting up here, uh, just as in this one statement, the trial exposed their true colors. It almost, in my, the way I'm reading it, it seems like it's about to be negative. 
like they failed the test. But what does it say? They were incredibly happy. What do we say? God loves a cheerful giver. It says they were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected. It was an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there. I saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could even afford. Verse 4. They were pleading for the privilege of helping out the relief of poor Christians. They were so generous. They were like, we want to do more. We want an opportunity to give. Verse 5. This was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and caught us completely off guard. What explains it? Why would they be so generous, Paul's asking. This is not the church that should be generous. They're they're under severe persecution. The words they've used is severely poor, and yet they've been given and giving, and they've been pleading, please let us give more, more than they could afford. What What was driving the generosity? Well, here it says, it explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. They gave generously because they had given God their heart. And look what it describes. The giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. If I'm not a cheerful giver, maybe God doesn't have my heart. Maybe I'm not completely surrendered to what he wants for me. The question we have to answer this morning, does God have my heart? Or does he get the leftovers? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment this morning. Again, And the goal here this morning is generosity. Am I moving towards generosity? Does God have my heart? Does he get the best of me or the rest of me? What could God do in this church if we all were surrendered completely to him? Oh, that the, the testimony of this church would be 2 Corinthians chapter 8. They were begging to do more. Why? Because they had given themselves unreservedly to God. God, I ask this morning that as you look in our lives, as you confront us with where our heart is, where our treasure is, Lord, that we would be challenged to surrender to you and to watch what you do. Lord, we love you, and we want to give, Lord, out of a cheerful heart. We want to give, Lord, out of a heart surrender to you. We want to give, Lord, because you've given to us first. We want to give out of a love, understanding you first loved us, understanding you gave the best and the first, and you gave your only son that whoever believes in him should not die but have everlasting life. And God, because you have given us mercy and grace, we, wanna, we just want to give. We want to give of our time, 
and our talent and our treasure. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we conclude the service just thinking and singing and worshiping about how much God loves us.